Well, good morning, Elevate. We are in week two of our study through 1 Timothy. Uh, We today are going to talk about this. We're going to talk about grace over shame. If you want to follow along with the sermon or the outline, you can go ahead and uh, scan the QR code what Lisa talked about just before. And in that QR code, there is a link to the Bible app, which will have our sermon outline on there. If you uh, can't get the, the thing working or you don't have your Bible app, uh, you can follow along on the screen as well. Everything will be up there uh, for, you to, for you to look at. So last week, we talked about what it would look like to start our legacy. We talked about how if we want to pass down this information to our kids, it has to start with us. We can't wait for our grandparents to do it. We can't wait for our parents to do it. If we want this legacy of Christ's followers to continue on to the next generation, it has to start with us. Last week, we talked about um, if there has been any issues in the church, if there has been issues, it is more, the church is more about being inclusive than being exclusive. We talked about how we need to have faith over religion, that religion makes sure that there are rules set aside to know if you are in or if you're out. Faith says that we only want to be inclusive, and faith says grace is what brings us together, not what separates us. We need to make sure we choose faith over religion. The author of the book, is this book is named Paul, and his whole thing seems that he's just trying to encourage a young minister that is trying to pour into the next generation. This is a new church, this is a new organization that has come together for people who were Jewish, who are now following Jesus, and people who were not Jewish, that had no service to God, who are now trying to follow Jesus, and they're trying to figure out how in the world are we supposed to continue together down this path. Today, in 1 Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord has poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that delivers full, deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus may display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The main point today is in our walk towards Christ, we should forever choose grace over shame. See, shame is something that has been in the world forever. Shame has something that is, that is, something that is very powerful amongst us humans and can completely decimate our innermost being as fast as we can imagine. Some figure out very quickly and become very... Some of these people that have been consumed with with shame in their life kind of figured it out really quickly. 
and they figured out that they should become comedians because that's the best way to kind of counteract their shame within us. And some of us even do that to this day. When we have shame in our life, it's easier to make fun of that shame than to just talk about it with somebody else. So what they have done is they will look at the shame of others and in themselves and they will just try to uplift the current situation of shame so that they can just reduce maybe the feeling that they have. They have, been a, they have become a master of what shame can do in your life. They have learned to monetize it. But for some of us, probably most of us, for those who aren't that funny, like myself, many people's biggest fear in the world is for their shame to be known. Many people's biggest fear is for somebody else to critique, somebody else to critique oneself because of the shame. But we know that the biggest critic of the people of shame is ourselves. We talk about, we think about things that we might have done, maybe not even things that we have done. We, we look at things that we probably should have done. We've talked about things that, that we probably did that have negatively affected our life. And just like that, we have completely evaluated ourselves. And because of that, we feel shame because we did not live up to the expectations of whatever we're thinking. The definition of shame is this, an unpleasant self-conscious emotion typically associated with negative evaluation of the self, withdrawing uh, motivations and feelings of distress, exposure, mistrust, powerlessness, and worthlessness. But why does shame exist? Why does this all exist? It exists because there is a standard in our mind, whatever that is, that we cannot hit. And whenever we cannot hit that, that is immediately when shame starts. This could be a standard at home. This could be something that your parents told you a long time ago. This could be a religious standard, a biblical standard, a self-standard, a social media standard, a friendship standard. This keeping up with the Joneses that we've been talking about for generations standard. Something in your life you have not hit and compared it to somebody else or something, and therefore shame starts to arise. Before Christ, Rob, the, the B.C. Rob, and, and post-Jesus, uh, Rob, are two completely different people. I think everybody that has received grace in their life can attest that their life before Christ and their life after Christ is something that is completely opposite. And this is something that keeps coming up in my mind over and over again. There's been times in my life before Christ when I was tired, maybe hungry, having a bad day, or maybe I didn't feel like I was in the center of my, my friendship. I, and I started to give bad reviews upon myself, and there was potential shame that could come up in my life. See, even to this day, I even... I even uh, experienced this the other day when I run into somebody or, or somebody that I grew up with that knew me when I was in middle school and high school. This is something that I still struggle with today, and I just faced it the other day. When somebody asked, hey, where did you grow up? And I, I mentioned where I grew up, and they're like, hey, I think I remember you when you were in high school. And then I immediately start feeling the shame rising up with me rising up with me. And most of the time, I try to give a joke about who I was or try to joke about my thing, and I try to immediately transition that into where I am today about being a minister, about being married and having kids, and I love being, having, I love being married, and I love my kids, 
and I try to divert the conversation as quickly as possible. Because there was a time in my life, and maybe a lot of you guys can relate to this, where you said jokes that probably uh, did not translate to current time. You might have said a joke at the cost of somebody else because of something that they said or did. Maybe you tried to put somebody down to elevate your, yourself and, the, and your current friendship to try to reduce whatever attention is on you and try to throw it on somebody else. And this was something that, this is something that really, really put me down in my life. And this is something that to this day I struggle with in my life. I wonder how many of you guys can relate to that today. That even though you are with Christ, you still have shame in your life of things that you did before Christ. Paul is talking to Timothy in this statement, and he tells him to learn from his path. Paul doesn't want Timothy to deal with the same internal battles and struggles that he struggled with, and we learn from those in, our past, in his past letters. Things of hurting Christians, things of hating Christians, to even devoting his life to reduce the Christian faith at all costs, even killing and putting Christians in jail. That is something that he struggles with internally really well. But he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who gives me strength. And he considers me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. My very first point is this, you are not viewed by your past choices. You are viewed as trustworthy from Christ. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is something like nothing else of this world has ever experienced before. The reason we say this is not a religion but faith or relationship is because the only, the only thing faith can do in our life is bring us together. It doesn't require a, a point system in our life. Religion tries to exclude you whenever you do bad things in your life. It's almost like you reduce yourself if you do something negative in your life. But faith has nothing to do with the point system. None of that matters. It doesn't want you to sit in your bedroom and think, well, did I do more good than bad today? Well, I got a couple good points today when I, when I uplifted somebody, but I did something kind of bad, so tomorrow I need to make sure that I do extra maybe three good things to kind of counteract the bad thing that I did yesterday. See, none of that matters when it comes to our faith. We don't have a list of rules that, we're look, that we look at to make sure we go to heaven. What God did is He came to us. Religion says that you're supposed to do this to go to heaven. Faith says, I'm going to come to you and save you. But to be viewed as trustworthy in this moment. God has entrusted every single one of you with the story of good news. He doesn't look at people and say, let this the, let this the minister do it. He doesn't say that. Well, just let the educated do it. Just let the elders do that. Just let the people that are good people do that. That is not what he says at all. Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. 
Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The shame I was talking about earlier in my life really crept up in my life when I came back to Kentucky for ministry. When I was in Tennessee, I could escape it. Nobody knew me in Tennessee. Nobody knew my backstory. I think two people from Lexington were at my college. But God called me back to Kentucky, and I really struggled with the fact that some, I might run into somebody that knew me before Christ. I, live in I lived in Nicholsville, Kentucky, the heart of Nicholsville at the time, and I would avoid Lexington at all costs. I didn't go to Lexington for months at one point because I could get all my grocery stores, my church, my friends were in Nicholsville, and I would just chalk it up as I have no reason to go to Lexington, so I'm just going to stay in Nicholsville. I can tell you that my, I think I filled up like once in a month, like that's how little I drove in that time. I claimed it was because there was no reason to go to Lexington, but in reality, it was because of the shame that I had. Until I read this scripture when I was there. God has considered me trustworthy to share his story. Why? Because of transformation through grace. And that is the most powerful story you could ever share with anybody. We are called trustworthy because we have a testimony of Jesus Christ in our life. Us testifying to His grace, the gift that we can receive from Jesus. That is a story that has power beyond anything on this earth, and we have been entrusted with that to share Christ with other people. Paul said, here is a trustworthy saying that has delivered, that deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners for whom I am the worst, but for this very reason I was shown pace, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and have received eternal life. We have the ability and have been entrusted with the story of our testimony to share with other people. Jesus believes in his grace so much that he would allow us humans to pass on his story to other people that we can help guide people to him. But the craziest thing that the church struggles with today is that God has patience for those who have faith. And I think this is a very important part in our faith journey. Yes, we're considered trustworthy, but in there it says God has patience for us, and I think that's a very important point in here. And I believe that there is a disconnect between the world and the should-be people of faith. During my study of, of this scripture and studying history around this scripture, I had a really hard time pinpointing where this all started. Unless it's some rebuttal to, to how Christians have kind of rescinded back into the world, I don't know. But when you become a Christian, you are not expected to become this perfect human as soon as you come out of the water. You are not called to be perfect. Perfect people don't need a Savior. But please understand this because when we are around other Christians, we need to extend the same patience 
that Christ has shown to us. I'm asked a question. How many of you guys still struggle with stuff today? You, you're, you have accepted Christ in your life. Christ lives and reigns in your life. He is the Lord of your life. You come to church every single Sunday. You might even tithe. You might open up your ho- house to, your, to other people in your community group. You might even give to people in your community group in times of need. But at the end of the day, you still might struggle with something. How many of you struggle with things that you, that, that you struggle with before Christ as well? When you're tired and you're frustrated, you might have had a bad day and you just feel Satan just kind of creeping back into your life and you feel like you're still struggle with the same things in your life. The reason is, is because we can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We cannot work on our sin. That is, that is a non-reality. The only way sin is removed is through Jesus' grace. And because of that, I am extremely thankful for his patience. God does not want to give up on me when, I'm, when I mess up, when I say something, when I, when I prejudge some, a situation or some, somebody, when the thoughts of this world decide to enter into my mind instead of going through the lens of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful when I go to God and I tell him what I'm struggling with that he doesn't just take it all away in the moment. Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, remember that our faith is what brings us together and and is not what separates. Christians are incapable of following the law perfectly, and that's why we need Jesus. We mess up, we're messy, we say things that we regret, we put ourselves in situations that are poor, we think uh, think of others the wrong way. We even sometimes suck at showing empathy to other people when they're hurting. And we even think that we're better than people when they are hurting as well. This is not an excuse that we should keep on sinning. In Romans 6, 1 through 2 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on, in sin, go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What I'm saying is Christ has patience for us. He doesn't just throw us away like old Chinese food when we mess up. He has patience, and we should have the same for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a one strike and you're out or three strikes and you're out situation. In fact, the more times we, somebody strikes out, the more we should go to them and give them patience. The more we should go to them and give them love. I've played a lot of sports in my life. Sports are something that I love. I still love watching it. I, I, I was very thankful of watching my Bengals win for the first time in postseason in 31 years. That was a really cool thing. Sports are something that I've, I've really devoted a lot of my time and my life to. But one of my favorite sports that I ever played was basketball. I love playing. I, got, I, I had the opportunity to play until I was about a, a sophomore in high school. And I, and I think about it all the time. And I still love playing pickup to this day. And I, I had a great opportunity of playing uh, in teaming with previous basketball, UK basketball players. Playing with people of that caliber was, was a lot of fun. Um, but when I was a sophomore in high school, I quickly realized that being 6'2 and being a power forward does not really mesh. 
When you're a power forward and you're the same height as the point guard and you can't dribble, you start to realize that maybe basketball isn't the sport that you should continue in. I was 6'2", I couldn't really dunk, I couldn't dribble, and I was supposed to be one of the biggest guys on the court, but in reality, I felt like I was the smallest guy. I couldn't gain weight, I wasn't growing anymore. At one point in my life, I was the tallest person on the court, and now everybody's catching up to me, and the center was like seven foot, our point guard was 6'3", and then there's the little old six foot two me power forward, trying his best to continue to play basketball because he loves it. But my sophomore year, I, it was like the first couple games of the season, and I was a lot lighter than everybody else. I felt like I was shorter than everybody else. In the first couple games, everybody could tell I was really frustrated. I felt like I was out of place. I just felt like I was giving it my all, and I was trying my best, but it just would not come together. And I still remember this to, to this day. One of, our, one of our games, our early games, uh, was against Lafayette High School. If you went to Lafayette High School, it's a great school. The problem with Lafayette is I knew every single person on that basketball team. I grew up playing with those people. Uh, they just lived right down the road from me. In fact, we played baseball together. We played football together since we were like nine years old. I knew everyone on that team, and a lot of people on that team I team with growing up. So I loved playing against my friends. But the problem with playing against your friends is they know all of your weaknesses. And I remember I was, I, I was on a fast break, and I was dribbling down the lane, and I did this, I, I felt like it was a strong layup, but apparently it was a very weak layup, and their center, who was, a, who was a friend of mine, his name was actually Peyton Manning, he came up behind me and slammed the basketball right back into my face, and I fell flat on my back. And in that moment, I felt completely defeated. I felt like I just should just quit in this moment right now. I felt exposed to everyone in the entire stadium. I had a lot of friends from Dunbar and Lafayette that came to watch just a bunch of, pe- bunch of friends play against each other, and I was laying flat on my back in front of everyone. But I never forget this. Our point guard at the time ran over to me in the middle of the play, picked me up, and looked at me and said, I need you. The game's not over. In your time of need, when you feel alone, we need to make sure that we recall the calling that God has in our life. Sometimes you need someone in your life to literally pick you up to the point and point you in the right direction. Our calling as an identity, as being a child of God. I'm going to ask the band to come back up at this moment. But if you feel stuck, if the shame is still there, I have good news for you. God sent His Son down not to condemn what you have done, but to redeem it. He gave down to save the sinners and elevate people to connect with His Father. Because of this, we no longer have the obligation to carry around the earthly burdens and shame that society tells you to fulfill. Jesus offers grace for your shame. As we continue this series, I wrote the second part of the letters to our children that I hope that I get to pass down to our kids for the next generation. It says this, When God delivers you into His kingdom, 
there is an automatic status of trustworthiness. This worthiness is not of this world, but comes from the heavens above. This stamp of approval from God allows us humans to share something that is not from this earth to save others. God has entrusted you and I the same task of sharing our stories so that others can see the good works of Jesus Christ. Do not be consumed, do not consume your life with the guilt of the expectations of this world, but trust in the grace of God to get us through life together. Remember, you are not called to be perfect. Perfect people don't need a Savior. But us sinners are called to be holy, blameless. And the only way that we can be holy and blameless blameless, is through Christ alone. 